Please take your Bibles and go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, that black Bible in the chair in front of you, uh, they renumber the New Testament, so find page 1. It doesn't say page 1. You have to go to page 2, then go back to find Matthew chapter 2. The Gospel of Matthew, the first Gospel, Matthew chapter 2. We're studying Matthew chapter 2, page 1 in that black Bible. (laughs) Get it? Matthew chapter 2. That's our study for this morning. And there's a reason why we sang We Three Kings. Why in the world are we singing We Three Kings? It's because we're looking at the Magi. Uh, Duh, come on. I'm being facetious with you. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought some of you were wondering, why are we singing? Especially if you're visiting. Like, why in the world are they singing? <laughs> did, did they know it's Christmas has passed? Maybe they do early Christmas hymns or something. No, because we're doing Matthew chapter 2. I'm not as dumb as I look. Matthew chapter 2. We'll read the whole chapter, okay? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star rising and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ is to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. So it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child, and when you found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen rising went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with unbelievable joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. Verse 16, then when Herod saw that he'd been deceived by the Magi, he became very much enraged and he sent and slaughtered all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its neighboring areas from two years old and under, according to the time which he ascertained from the Magi. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel, weeping for her children, for she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Verse 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father David, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, 
he departed for the regions of Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He should be called a Nazarene. If there's anything we can learn from this whole fiasco with the Covington Catholic High School boys, I'm sure you heard about in the news, it's this. Don't be so quick to judge. Because at the end of the day, facts may show the most unlikely people are responding in the most unlikely way. Now, not all people have backtracked. Some have, some haven't. And you might be at different sides of this issue. Few are still standing their ground. People have said, hey, these kids, they had this normal response, yet as more things unfolded, uh, not so much. But regardless on how you land, it's very obvious. The most unlikely people may respond in the most unlikely way. People thought these, these kids were responding in this way. Not so much. Other videos have said otherwise. But it's unexpected, right? Well, that's exactly what you're going to see here in chapter 2 of Matthew's gospel. We have the main title of, of the whole gospel, Matthew's gospel, Bow Down and Worship Jesus, the Messiah, King of Israel. And then the subtitle for this morning is this, An Unlikely Response from the Most Unlikely People. You would think that these people would respond bowing down and worshiping Jesus, but they don't. And you would think that these people, oh, why would, why would they want anything to do with this Messiah, King of Israel? They're the ones that bow down and worship Jesus. An unlikely response from the most unlikely people. Statement for you, Matthew calls us to respond in trustful worship. And this worshiping faith in the Messiah King of Israel comes from the most unlikely people and what you see here is by Gentiles. The uneducated, so to speak, if you want to call them that. Not the elite. But Matthew wants us to respond this way. Respond and trust no matter the issues that take place in our lives. He teaches us that however God moves in our lives, He calls us to have trustful, obedient worship toward our King, just like the Magi and Joseph. Not apathy, pride, and hate or anger like the religious leaders in Herod. That's what you see the ones you would think would respond with such worshipful trust, they don't. What you would think they will want nothing to do with this Messiah King, they trust. And then you see Joseph, his obedience. God's ways are mysterious, are they not? That's why we sang that song. God moves in a mysterious way. And it's, it's so mysterious how these things work here in chapter 2. And yet truth be told, God will work out His perfect plan even using the evil from evil people to bring about His plan. He will do that. 
And he still, can I use this verb, demands that we trust him. In the end, the Messiah, King of Israel, will deliver us from all evil. He will. But what does he want? What does he want from us now? So God, we trust in you. Truth be told again, we will suffer. But God will ultimately deliver us just like he did his eternal son, Jesus the Messiah King. All in all, God's purposes can never be overthrown. Scripture will be fulfilled according to his plan. In the end, he will save his people. He will. You will be vindicated. You will be. That's the hope. He did it for Jesus. He will do it for his people. Jesus, the Messiah King, will bring redemption not just to Israel, but to all the nations. And yet, unfortunately, what you already begin to see here is rejection, hatred, anger, apathy. Unfortunately, many within Israel will disbelieve or reject Jesus. And in the same way, we as his people will be despised and rejected just like Jesus because friends, this is not our home. Which is very un-American to say. Our American culture, we like our comfort. But we have to realize this as Americans too. This is not our home. Heaven, Jesus is our home. God's divine kingdom is summed up in the person of Jesus, the Messiah King of Israel. He is the fulfiller of all that is precious to a Jew and their heritage. And yet, to be part of the people of God has everything to do with trusting Jesus. You want to be part of the people of God? Then you trust Jesus. You trust the Messiah King. You embrace him, you love him, you're devoted to him, you worship him. It's all about him. That's the focus. And by God's providence, he will divinely protect his Messiah and he works his will despite the opposition of sinful people, as one writer put it. And, and so you, you'll see here in, in this chapter, Matthew chapter 2, this huge contrast between Herod, the king, king, the chief priests and scribes, versus the magi and Joseph. The former, hatred, apathy, anger. The latter, worship, obedience. They're pitted against each other. And I'll be bringing this up throughout the message. And by the way, all these events in chapter 2 of Matthew are historically true. They're not fabricated. Uh, Matthew selected historical events to support his theological king theme. So just so you know, we do believe these are historical events. They're not fabricated stories. So point number one, two points today. Trustful worship versus apathy and pride. You see that in the first 12 verses. Notice how it begins in verse one of chapter two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. This is the place where David the great king was born, Jerusalem, excuse me, Bethlehem. Most likely they came around two years after his birth. Why? 
Joseph and Mary were there in Bethlehem? We don't know. Matthew doesn't give us the details, but the Magi, they arrived in Jerusalem in the days of Herod the king. This is Herod the Great. Rolled from like, oh, what, the 40s into like 6 BC, something like that. He was ruthless. He was a crooked tyrant. For lack of better terms, he was a jerk. He even killed three of his own sons and a wife because he was afraid they were going to try and take his throne. Talk about a guy who was paranoid, right? But he was a great builder. As a matter of fact, the Western Wall that you can see today in Israel, the Western Wall, that's from his temple. That's from there. Half Jew, half Edomian. And he was put in this position. He didn't gain it by access of some uh, 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 hereditary type stuff. He was put in this position. So these magi, from the east, they arrived in Jerusalem. Who were these magi? Wise men. Students of the stars. Now, not astrologers per se, but they were of Arabian, Babylonian, maybe Persian descent. Uh, one writer puts it like this. They were priestly professionals, interpreters of dreams and the stars. So most likely they're Gentiles. And they weren't kings. We three kings. No, it wasn't we three kings. It wasn't three. It could have been five, 17, one. Oh, what one, but it's just plural. It had to at least be two, not three. They weren't kings. But maybe, most likely, some people think they were Chaldeans from Babylonia. So they possibly even knew Daniel. Remember Daniel, book of Daniel, the prophet? Maybe he was the one who told them about this, about the prophecy that was coming. But anyways, be that as it may, the Magi, they came to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the city of David, the great king. Now, how did they come to interpret the star as a sign that Messiah was born? We don't know. It's just a huge mystery. But Notice verse two. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Notice, contrast Herod the king. He had no birthright. For he saw his star. Notice how they're the first ones to acknowledge the birth of Messiah, king of Israel. It wasn't Jews. It was Gentiles. For we saw his star, and New American Standard says in the east, actually should be when it arose. That's a better translation. Now what is this star? Well, explanations vary from the comet, some supernova exploding, Blah, 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 blah. Who knows? In some mysterious way, they saw some astronomological, I can't even say that word now, phenomenon, and they knew it was a sign for Christ. Who who knows what it was? Uh, As far as we know, this was some miraculous sign from God for them to know that Messiah the King had been born. That's all we know. But, But notice, we saw his star rising. Look at what it says in that last part of verse 2. And have come to worship him. Striking. Not only were Gentiles searching for the Messiah King of Israel. They're coming to worship him. Wait, wait, what? I mean, read that really slow. And we've come to worship him. It's clear that worship was only for God. 
So here you have the, the proclamation of the very deity of Messiah King Jesus, while Herod and the religious leaders and the people, they're kind of clueless. Like, what? What is he talking about? I don't know. Now, do the Magi understand everything that was happening, that they uh, have this theological depth? That's debatable. Nonetheless, they weren't just coming to give homage to him. They were coming to worship. And you'll see that later. They fell down and worshiped him. Notice the contrast, verse 3. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. <laughs> Gentiles had reverence, fear, and worship. Herod, anxiety, anger, pride. He didn't want some rival, some rival king. What's this king stuff? I'm the king. The passion of the wise men ironically contrasts with Herod. And then the religious leaders. Here, here, here they're searching to worship and, and these guys, they're obtuse. They're fools. I notice all Jerusalem with him. What, what, what does this mean? This is the political, economic, and the religious establishment of Jerusalem. Those who like their comfy positions in Washington, D.C. I'm sorry, that came out too bad. Those who like their comfy positions in the district of Jerusalem, D.J., these would fear losing their place of authority and their nice paychecks interesting how this shoots us forward this shoots us forward to later on in Matthew's gospel official Judaism would reject Jesus but Gentiles would receive him interesting notice verse 4 uh, uh, Herod was, was ignorant. Gathering together, all chief priests, scribes, he began to inquire of them where the child was to be born. He wanted to find out where Messiah was going to be born. He didn't know. Chief priests and scribes, these were Sadducees and Pharisees. Not all Pharisees were scribes, but scribes were Pharisees. And they were, they were teachers of the Old Testament. They would tell the meaning of it and try and apply it to a Jew. Both groups would be actively involved in crucifying Jesus. But look at, look at what they say, verse, verse 5 and 6. They said, I'm Bethlehem of Judea. First, we're written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, no means least among the rulers of Judah, out of you shall come forth a ruler, shepherd my people Israel. No hesitation. They coldly quoted the exact spot while Gentiles were coming to worship Jesus. Do you see the apathy here? They gave the quote but would do nothing about it. They're indifferent. They didn't care. And yet what they quoted is important. Because they quoted from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 with the last line, who will shepherd my people Israel from 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 2. This Messiah would be the one who would shepherd Israel. He would care for he would care for those over whom he led. Messiah, Israel's ruler, would be born in Bethlehem and shepherd them. Notice the contrast once again between Herod and the religious leaders. False shepherds. The real shepherd had come. Look at what happens in verse 7. Herod secretly called the Magi, ascertained from them the exact time the star appeared. 
well, he didn't want this being put on Facebook or anything like that. So what did he do? He called them secretly, wanted to find out when that star was appeared, wanted to kind of the age of this newborn king. How old was he? And then notice verse eight. He sent them to Bethlehem. Go, make careful search for the child. You found him. Report to me that I too may come and worship him. Being wise men, they had no idea of how ruthless of a person Herod could be. So notice verse 9. Having heard the king, they went on their way. And finally they saw the star once again. Notice how Matthew puts it. And lo, the star which they had seen rising. And then notice what he tells us here. He says in verse 9, it went on before them, the star, until it came and stood over where the child was. Now how did it do this? And it stood over the place where Jesus was. That's a mystery. The star went ahead of them, pointing to the exact location. How did this happen? We don't know. It's a mystery. But notice how they responded. Look at verse 10. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with unbelievable joy. They were ecstatic. One uh, guy, uh, writer, he put it like this. They were deliriously happy. Notice, overwhelming, joyful devotion pitted against hatred and apathy. You see that? An unlikely response from the most unlikely people. Verse 11. He came into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. Not the stable. Why were they there? Where did they end up? Matthew doesn't tell us the details. Child with his mother. Notice Jesus is mentioned first. And notice what they did. They saw the child marry his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. They fell down and worshiped Jesus. Can you imagine Joseph and Mary watching this? Can you imagine? They're worshiping. I mean, what two-year-old doesn't want to be worshiped? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean, if you had a two-year-old, they're like, hey, yeah. That's right, all of you should do it. That's what Jamin did when he turned two. He's like, all of you should bow down and worship me. I am Batman. No, I'm just kidding. And notice what they did. They fell down and worshiped him, and then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, very valuable, fit offerings for a king. Now these symbolic meanings, the gold was for this, the myrrh for his burial, it's just Christian tradition. That's not in the text. Actually, it's more of an allusion to Psalm 72, Psalm 110, and Isaiah chapter 60, the future days when Gentiles would bring tribute to Zion. That's probably more what it's alluding to. One day the Gentiles will bring tribute to the king when he reigns in Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom. He will reign supreme. And then notice verse 12. Don't miss this. And been warned in a dream, God is supplied in the text, but we know it was, he was the one who did it, just like he did with Joseph, being an angel. Not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Don't miss this. Gentiles were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. They obeyed and returned another way. Here, these Gentiles obeyed God. First, God even, he revealed himself to them in that way by a dream. That in and of itself is amazing. And then they actually obeyed. 
What a mysterious historical story. The miracle of God's grace that will be shown to all people is proclaimed here, not just to Jews. God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? His wonders to perform. But that's where we're called to have trustful, worshiping faith. Again, this contrasts the apathy of the well-studied, the the educated religious leaders, Herod, versus this limited knowledge, so to speak, of the Magi who worshipped. And they were Gentiles. Why in the world would they be looking for a Messiah king? Israel, the Jews were looking for the Messiah. And yet, they weren't really looking for their Messiah, were they? The most unlikely response from the most unlikely people. Well, it continues. Notice the second point. Trustful obedience versus hate and anger. Here you see it with Joseph, verse 13 to 23. Look at verse 13. When they departed, Magi left. The angel warned Joseph in a dream, flee to Egypt, take the child and his mother, remain there for Herod's gonna try to destroy the child. Notice what he does in verse 14. He rose, took the child and his mother by night. He did it by night to keep things kind of under the lid. They were probably poor, so not much to pack anyways. But notice his sense of urgency to protect God's Messiah. His, his protecting role is pitted against Herod's role to try and kill. Herod should be the one who was protecting Jesus. Not so. Here's Joseph doing it. The immediate, resp- obedient response of Joseph is what we see. Notice what happens here in verse 15. And he was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt did I call my son. So Jesus fulfills scripture. Matthew quotes Hosea verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, which is a reminder of the Exodus. So here the nation of Israel, they were in Egypt. And Hosea says, out of Egypt have I called my son, Israel. I call him out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In the Exodus, Israel was shown to be Yahweh God's firstborn son. And he would lovingly preserve his son Israel from Pharaoh's wrath and and deliver them from slavery. So in the same way, Yahweh, Father God, would lovingly preserve his eternal son Jesus from Herod's wrath. That's why he quotes it here. As God's steadfast, patient love and covenant loyalty was promised to the nation, in Jesus that love is consummated. Israel was the type, Christ, the Messiah, he's the anti-type. He's the one that pictures Israel, how they're supposed to be. So, Hosea is a prophetic book that demonstrates God's faithful love to his people, caring for them and protecting them. As he would a wife, as he would a son. If you know anything about Hosea, he had to marry this woman who was the prostitute. And yet, Hosea was called to be faithful to that wife. Why? It was a picture of Yahweh God who was faithful to his people. So, he would be loyal to his own people. 
though they were disloyal to him. So it's actually is an appeal. Hosea chapter 11 is an appeal. Turn back to your loyal God. Turn back to God, O Israel. And in Matthew, this is done by trusting Jesus to be the Messiah King by having the same response to him as the Magi, the same response to him as Joseph, worshiping faith. This is why it's so vital for you if you're here and you're not a Christian. You should respond to the gospel. You should have worshiping faith. You should have worshiping trust in the living God. Do not leave today and not consider your relationship with God. Now you need to be made right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and trust Jesus and you'll be saved. That's the message. So God's divine purpose on behalf of his Messiah will not be thwarted. He will care for his own. Look, the evil one had been trying to destroy Messiah for centuries. But God will bring redemption to his people, the redemption to his people because of his faithful, steadfast love. Look at verse 16, look what happens. Then when Herod saw that he'd been tricked or deceived by the Magi, he was enraged. He figured out that they weren't returning, so he was furiously angry. And no doubt, during his last years of his reign, Herod was so full of bloodshed. I told you he killed three of his sons. So unfortunately, this is no surprise. It's still sad because he sent and slaughtered all the male children who were in Bethlehem and its neighboring areas from two years old and under. So he figured out, ascertained from the Magi, so this Messiah is probably around two years old or, or, or younger, slaughter these children. Now, it's probably less than 100, maybe somewhere around 50s in the 50s or so. But still, this is horrible. This is sad. Realize, though, in actuality, his anger was not directed at the Magi, but it was directed against God. And look at what Matthew says here in verse 17. And that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying in verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. He specifies it. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15. Notice how we didn't read that verse this morning. We read verse 14 and then we went to verse 16 to 20. Rachel in Jeremiah chapter 31 represents Israel who wept as they went into exile. So Rachel's grief here in Matthew chapter 2 is related to the grief that she had when they went into exile. Great mourning. Grief was so great. There was such bitter sadness. Nothing could alter the exile and nothing could alter the death of these children in Bethlehem. And yet... In the midst of going into exile, God would restore Israel again because hope would come in the new covenant. See, if we had time, we would do this. Maybe you want to do this this week. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 31 and read the whole chapter, I did it yesterday. The only sad verse in the whole chapter 
is this one right here, is verse 14. Everywhere else in the chapter, there's good news. Everywhere else in the chapter, there's the promise of God restoring his people, and then there's the promise that he's going to bring the new covenant. So there's a reason why Matthew's quoting this. Not just to show the sadness in the midst of these children being killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas, but this as well. Israel did return from exile. Thus their hope is found in the one who would redeem them and save them, Christ. As Rachel's mourning was consoled by Israel's return from exile, so hope consoles the women of Bethlehem seen in the death and resurrection of their Messiah. Comfort comes in restoration. Even even in the midst of this cruelty and this horrible atrocity that's taking place, there's hope in Messiah. And yet we still ask this question, why would God allow this cruelty to take place? It's a reminder. It's a reminder of the problem of evil in this world. And it's a reminder of our need for the Messiah, King of Israel, who has come to deliver his people from this evil. As we've sung in times past, the song, and though this world with devil's fill should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. A mighty fortress is our God. Friends, we live in a fallen world, and yet a world that God plans to judge and redeem, which is the very reason for sending Messiah in the first place. Amid the atrocity of evil people, God's purposes will stand and be fulfilled. Even using evil people who do very evil things to bring about his plan. Because though we suffer now, and restoration will come, restoration has come in Christ. You see? Notice what happens. Verse 19, Herod died. The threat was gone. The angel appears, directed Joseph. Verse 20, Arise, take the child and his mother, return to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child, Herod and his associates, they're dead. There's nothing to fear. Notice, Herod dies, Jesus lives. You are immortal until God is done with you. Verse 21, He rose, took the child, they came into Israel, but he heard Archelaus. He was possibly planning to move back to Bethlehem. We don't know, but somewhere in Judea. Archelaus, he was made ethnarch of Judea, Edomia, Edomia and, and Samaria, and he was ruthless just like his father. He was cruel, but he was, for lack of better terms, an idiot. I think he was deposed after like a few months or something like that. The Romans were like, oh, get him out of there. They took care of him. But no surprise that Joseph was fearful because he was ruthless. Notice it says there in the middle, verse 22, and being warned in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee. God gave divine directions, yet no details, and yet Joseph decided to settle in Galilee. And then verse 23, and he came resided in a city called Nazareth. This was their final resting spot. 
Now, Nazareth was uh, an unimportant, no-name type of town. Nobody's lived there. I mean, if you want to stay off the radar, get off the grid, either move to Nevada. I'm sorry, is anybody from Nevada here? Okay. Nobody's visiting from Nevada, right? Okay, good. Take that off the tape. Or Nazareth. I mean, Nazareth was the perfect spot for that. But notice what Matthew says here. End of verse 23. That which was spoken through the prophets, plural, might be fulfilled. He should be called a Nazarene. Well, there's no particular prophecy that says this. Specific one. That's why he says prophets, plural, to emphasize the total thrust of the Old Testament. What would it be? Christ would be a citizen of an obscure, no-named, non-significant town. Nothing came out of Nazareth. He'd face contempt and be despised, be scorned. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Exactly. Because what was the point trying to be driven? The prophets collectively pointed to the fact that Messiah would be humble, despised, and rejected. And Jesus, being a resident of the humble town of Nazareth, would fulfill that. Which is a fact that it's already seen. We just saw it by Herod, by the religious leaders. You see, he was already despised. He's only two years old. And they're already despising him. He's only two years old. And they're already trying to kill him. You see? Here's something else. And as followers or disciples of Jesus, we will be despised and rejected because this is not our home. We will suffer, but God will ultimately deliver us just like he did his eternal son. Remember, I talked to you, if you're here, you're not a Christian. Look, I'm not telling you if you become a Christian, all your problems, problems will go away. No, you might have more problems, friend. You might be hated even more. But know this, God's ways are mysterious. He will work out his perfect plan, even using the evil from evil people to bring about that plan. But in the end, the Messiah, King of Israel, will deliver us from all evil. Make no mistake about it. Look, he will deliver us from all this suffering, from all this pain, from all this hurt, from all the evils of this life. Yet it's meant for us as God's people to suffer now as we await for our deliverance. Messiah suffered. He was two years old and they were trying to kill him. What makes us think that we will not suffer? What makes us think that we will not be despised? What makes us think that we will not be rejected? Which is why I gave you this statement. However God's going to move in your life, all of you are dealing with different things in your life, good things, bad things, terrible things, atrocities, tragedies, past things that may have affected you. However God moves in our lives, He calls us to have trustful, obedient worship toward our King. Like the Magi. Like Joseph. 
not apathy, pride, hate, anger, bitterness. Why are you doing this to me? Like the religious leaders or like Herod. Oh God, we trust in you. When tears are great, when comforts are few, we hope in mercies that are ever new. We trust in you. You know, Father, our faith is very weak. And yet thank you that you give us this gift of faith, of trust, so help us. Your ways are mysterious. You're working out your plan. And to us, it's just kind of weird. It just doesn't make sense to us in so many ways. The atrocities, sufferings, the horrible things other humans do to each other. And yet use us. Teach us to have this trustful, obedient attitude of worship. Let us search for you, O Christ. And like the Magi, to fall down in worship. Like Joseph, immediately we do what you say. Packing up everything and taking the family unbelievable obedient response from Joseph help us to think this way to live this way take this time if you would let the word of God sink deep within your soul and after a few moments of silence where you can pray ponder think let your mind reflect on these things after a few moments of that we'll We'll worship in our giving. We'll sing some more songs to, for ways for you to respond by singing. And we'll pray. And you can go about your day, blah, blah, blah. But just take this time, if you would. Let the word take deep root into your soul. Let your mind dwell on these things.